Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Please do take a seat if you haven't already. Haven't that? You've been fantastic so far. Um, hello, everybody. It's great to see you. My name is Howard. Um, I'm the pastor here of Westminster Chapel. Uh, we're a church where everybody is so welcome, and I'd really like to wish you a Merry Christmas. I've been practicing that all week. Um, I hope I finally got that right. Did I do it right, Amanda? Yes. Uh, not too bad. Fantastic. Um, well, Christmas is a time, isn't it, of festive singing and also terrible Christmas cracker jokes. So I thought it would be great to begin by just combining the two together and to start on an all-time low of badness by telling a few terrible jokes. Are you ready uh, for this? I don't think you really are, uh, but we're going to do it anyway um, today. So here we go. What do you sing at a snowman's birthday party? Ready? Freeze, a jolly good fellow. Oh, <laughs> some people actually found that funny. <laughs> um, I thought, it, yeah, here we go, next one. Um, how does Good King Wenceslas like his pizzas? Deep pan, crisp, and even. Um, oh, that was my favorite, but no one laughed at that one. Oh, awkward. Uh, well, I'm not talking about those kinds of songs. I want to talk to you this evening about the wonderful, amazing carol that is O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written in 1868 by Philip Brooks, and it is a homage to the original, authentic freedom songs of Christmas. Two of them you've already heard read to you. Two more will be read to you throughout this service. Now, I'm going to talk to you in two parts this evening, and I'll try my best not to talk for more than 10 minutes each time, because I know what it is like to be where you are right now. Maybe you're an irregular churchgoer, like I was, at a carol service, fearing being lectured at by somebody up on the platform who's going to force religion down your throat. I'm really not trying to do that this evening. So please relax. I'm just going to try and give a little bit of caramel to your understanding of Christmas and Christianity to make it maybe taste a little bit sweeter by the end of the evening. So, are you ready? Right, let's talk about some songs. Um, Songs carry, don't they, often important and powerful messages. They convey profound meaning. But who gets to decide the meaning? Think of the Beatles and a great song that they sung, and one of the lyrics was, I get by with a little help from my friends. But who are the friends? Who decides who the friends are? Are the friends human beings, or are they, dare I say it, drugs? Oh, okay, what about um, Disney's film Frozen and the song Let It Go? Is that a song about the release of super ice-making powers? Or as a dad with children who are, uh, just have a love of, of toilet humor, is it actually about the release of flatulence? Let it go, we might sing in our family home very awkwardly. Surely the original meaning is determined by the people who are the original writers, the originators of the story. Now, this is really important when it comes to Christmas. Who decides the meaning of Christmas? 
Is Christmas just about uh, evergreen trees, trees that point up? Is it about festive singing and gift giving and all of that? Or are they based on something deeper? Is there some truth? Is it a little tea truth? Is, is that truth, that meaning, is it just, you know, um, true for you maybe, like personal, subjective truth? Like, I don't like Brussels sprouts. That might be true for me, but not true for you. Is Chris Mack kind of truth? Or is it a bigger truth, a capital T truth, which is objectively true and anchored in reality, true for all people? I want to argue this evening that it's the latter, that it is capital T true. Forgive me, I'm swigging. I, I actually, dare I say it, I have a cough. Um, it's really awkward. I hope I'm not going to cough too much this evening. It's not COVID. I've been tested. It's all right. You are safe, at least with me. The people around you, I can't vouch for them. Especially, you know, Westminster Chapel. I can't, you know, anyway, <laughs> we'll carry on. My first point is the reality of Christmas. Point number one of three. The reality of Christmas. Our carol doesn't begin, O little town of Godric's Hollow. No, O little town of Hobbiton. No, it's O little town of Bethlehem, a real historical place. That's really interesting because Christianity is unlike all other belief systems of the world, which tends to be about a private dream or a private vision or a private idea that you can't easily interrogate or try and get hold of or investigate. Christianity, by contrast, is public. Jesus' birth was public. Jesus' death was public. Jesus' resurrection, it was public. That means that the Christian faith, what the foundation of its beliefs, are based on what it claims to be facts. And you either believe them because you believe the facts to be true or not true, but the, the beliefs come out of these events of history. See, Christmas is about God coming and literally entering into history. And if that's true, we should be able to investigate that. We should be able to, to find out if, that, if that's right. And now, of course, there's, there's a lot of Christians who've written about that. There are the uh, first century eyewitness accounts. We call them the biographies or the gospels in the New Testament that tell us the story of, of Christmas and about Jesus as he grows up. But you might be like, why would I? Well, I'm not just, I don't know if I trust those Christians yet. Um, well, there's also non-Christian historians from around about the time of Jesus, who wrote about him when he grew up. People like Tacitus, Lucian, Josephus, a Roman, a Greek, and a Jew. And they said, if you collect just what they said, and there are others, I'm just quoting three tonight. They said Jesus was a real person, a real historical person, that he did paradoxical deeds, that he was crucified just as the Bible records for blasphemy, for claiming to be God, and that even though he died, he developed this amazing following of people that grew in massive numbers that reached all the way to Rome from this backwater place in the world, a small place in the world. Nazareth got all the way over there without planes, trains, or automobiles. They say all, all of that. Now, why am I laboring this point? Because if it's not real, there's no reason for hope. If it's not real, then the message of Christmas is empty. The peace that it promises, it isn't really true. But if it is real, you can go to the bank and cash the real hope that it offers. That's the first point. The second point is the reason um, for Christmas. The reason for Christmas. The carol talks about the hopes and fears of all the years being met, being stilled, 
being answered in Jesus coming, in Christ coming. Now, you may have had a moment in life where you've sung a song, but you've got the lyrics wrong. Anybody had that experience? Want to own that for a moment? There's a few people, hands raised. Well, it happens to all of us, so just a little experiment. Maybe you've been singing Jefferson Starships, We Built This City on Sausage Rolls. That's not right, is it? That's the wrong lyric, but people genuinely have been singing that lyric. We're going to do a little moment, audience participation moment. Are you, are you ready for this? It is, in fact, We Built This City on... Rock and roll, fantastic. We've got time for one more. Abba, Dancing Queen. Believe it or not, people have been singing Feel the Beat of the Tangerine. Um, the fruit, that's <laughs> quite unusual, I know. I'm not quite sure how you got that wrong. Sorry if you did get that wrong. Um, let's do that again. Shall we do it? Shall we see what we come up with? Feel the Beat of the Tangerine. Ah, wow, real Abba fans here. The point that I'm trying to make is You might know something of the tune of Christmas, but maybe you've misheard or misunderstood the lyrics, the original lyrics. Let's go back to these readings that you heard earlier and look at what what is the original story? What are the original freedom songs actually saying? Well, Mary, she's talking about mercy. She's talking about this idea of not being treated as our sins deserve for our wrongdoings. She's talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and for justice being satisfied. Then there's Zechariah. He's talking about redemption, being set free from slavery. He's talking about deliverance. He's talking about forgiveness of sins. He's talking about light shining in the darkness and being guided in the way of peace. Freedom from the tyranny of unpeace. I wonder what hopes and fears do you have? What disappointments are you carrying? When has your anxiety just felt totally overwhelming? I think many of us, and I believe many of us even in this room online, we feel broken. Broken by the unrelenting demands of this pandemic. Broken by the hurts that other people have inflicted upon us. Broken by our own sense of not good enough and failure and our own sins and messing things up. And that's not far off how the people at the first Christmas felt. They felt broken. Broken living under the tyranny of an oppressive Roman occupying force. They felt broken by their own compromise with that and their unfaithfulness to God. They felt like God had been silent for so long. Is he still there? Does he even care? Maybe that's how you feel this evening. But Christmas is the answer to that. God comes and he doesn't just send somebody else. He comes himself personally in Jesus He's called Emmanuel. That means God with us. God with you in your trials and in all of your challenges. He comes to give you peace. Peace. Jesus doesn't stay a baby in a cradle. He grows up to die on a cross. So that he could pay the penalty 
for the sin, the, the wrongs that, that you've done. So he could, he could take that in your, in your place for you. He could deal with the evil within and the evil without. He could set you free from the, that, that sense of the resounding gong of guilt which kind of echoes over your life, feeling condemned and crushed from the, the shackles of shame. He wants to come and liberate you from all of that. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. God really does love you. It's why he came. It's why he died. Paul, who was a killer of Christians, he encountered Jesus and it turned his life around and he became a great preacher of Christian truth. He said, God demonstrates, he shows his love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered to set you free, to give you peace, shalom, true well-being. And this peace is safe. You can depend on it. It's trustworthy because it's founded upon this glorious, extraordinary, sacrificial love of God himself. It's a glorious peace. And it's a wonderful love. And it is this love that the angels in our carol, that they are, they are watching over. It's this, this peace that is founded upon love that they are going to sing about. And you'll hear that read about in the moment in the next reading and the carol. And it's this peace which is available to every single one of us. And if you'd like to re- receive that peace, I'm going to explain how in the next part. But now we get to enjoy a wonderful Bible reading. It's been put together, different clips of different people from our church family and our church community, reading from Luke chapter 2. Well, we've looked at the reality of Christmas, the reason for Christmas. The final point to make is your response to Christmas. We've just heard that Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's telling us that the gift of Christmas is salvation. Now, I wonder if you've ever received a gift that you didn't really want, Um, or maybe even a gift that actually offended you. Um, uh, Perhaps it it happens, imagine Christmas, you are unwrapping your presents, and the first present that you you open up turns out to be vouchers for therapy, for counseling. The next present you open up from a so-called friend turns out to be anti-aging cream, and the final present, yes, it is a diet book. Now, if you accept all of those presents and say, thank you very much, you're more or less saying, aren't you? Yeah, you're right. I am messed up, getting old and fat. Thank you so much for that. It's kind of an admission. You see, some gifts by their very nature make you swallow, swallow your pride. And the gift of Christmas is like that, but, but it's, but it's supersized. Well, you might be thinking, oh, hold on a minute, I don't need saving, what are you talking about? I'm a good person, I'm not, I'm not a bad person, or at least I'm not as bad as that person over there, insert name here, of that person that immediately comes into your mind, you sort of justify yourself by, who you look down upon, and are sort of actually sinning judgmentally against. Awkward. You see, I think quite often we arrogate at the bar of... Um, the bar of goodness, if you like, so low to make sure that we will I'll make sure I'll jump over it. <laughs> you know, I'll make sure I'll get over it as long as it's all right that I, I'm okay. 
But God has something much bigger, much better. He's got a much higher standard for us. He doesn't want us to, to live in that mediocrity. He's giving us, offering us so much more than that. And that's why, as it says in the carol, that he comes to this world of sin. What does that mean? This world full of people living for themselves, selfishly just going about stuff in their own interests, going against the grain of the universe, the way it's been designed and meant to be, really making a mess of things. So Jesus comes to cast out sin, cast out this evil, this toxin, this, this poison that infects and infiltrates all of us. But for who? For who is he willing to do this? Well, the carol answers this. For meek souls who will receive him still. For the humble. For those who are willing to swallow their pride and accept that they're part of the problem. For those who are willing to own their sin. Now that, yeah, can be a bit, a bit painful. But consider for a moment how a surgeon deals with a person with a cancerous growth. They cause pain, right? They make you cut, they make you bleed, they cause you injury, they, they cause bruising and swelling in order to make you well again. Well, confession, owning your sin, it might be painful, and repentance, turning from your sin and going in the other direction. Ah, oh, Jesus, the great physician's means by which to make your soul well. Your soul to be at peace. But I know people who, yeah, they, they would never want to confess their sins. Why, why, why would I do that to a God? If, if he even exists, he's evil. He'll just condemn me. He'll just punish me. He'll just crush me. That's what a man called uh, Christopher Hitchens thinks. He wrote this book. It's called God is Not, is Not Great. And in an interview, he said this, the existence of God would be a bad thing. It would be rather awful if it was true, if there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation of what you do. You would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. And I agree with him. That kind of totalitarian, controlling religion is absolutely evil, but it is not true Christianity. A self-absorbed dictator is not the God that I worship. And I think Christmas proves this. See, at Christmas, God doesn't come to force himself on anyone. He doesn't come with this super impressive display of, of military power. Look at me, I'm amazing, I'm this incredible leader. You must bow down and worship me or else. He comes with gentleness and humility. He comes to an impoverished couple in a middle of nowhere place to be laid as a baby in an animal trough. I think that Philip Brooks just puts it brilliantly when he said, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. God comes to a little town, to little people, to do extraordinarily big things.
He comes peacefully offering peace to, to you, but not just to lift you up out of the trouble that you're in, but so that he can help you through it, so he can come alongside you, so you can almost live in the eye of the storm, because Jesus is with you, you're with Jesus, and you can face whatever trouble comes your way. He comes peacefully offering peace to everyone, to despicable, disregarded shepherds, that's what they were thought of in the day, to foreign pagan star worshippers from far away. They are welcome. The whole point of them being invited into the Christmas story is this, that everyone is welcomed. Everyone. The question is, though, will you receive him? Will you receive him? The brilliant C.S. Lewis You may know him, he's an Oxford professor, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. In actual fact, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, one of the books in that series, has been voted the nation's most favorite book. But what you may not know about him is that as he grew up a bit later in life, he converted from being an atheist to a Christian. And he explains now here the real meaning of Christmas which he calls the grand miracle. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. One may think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again back to color and light. His lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding up in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light. Down below, where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. I believe God has sent me here today and he's brought you here today for you to know that you are that precious thing. You are that precious thing. He comes seeking you. 23 years ago, I was an arrogant law student at a university, Carol says, I thought I knew everything, and for the first time I'd heard somebody a little bit like this uh, speaking about the real meaning of Christmas, and it got under my skin and it annoyed me, but it interested me. And so in the months that followed, I started to read, I started to investigate. I went on a very humbling journey of discovery. And in that, I started to find this is true, this is real. And I encountered God for myself. And I found this extraordinary peace and an acceptance founded on a love so deep, so divine. It continues to delight my soul today. 
This peace, this extraordinary peace founded upon love that sets us free. It's what's enabled Christians to sing in the face of suffering ever since Christ came, down through the decades, the centuries. I think of the, the Christians under Roman Emperor Trajan persecuted, singing out from their places of suffering about the hope that was coming. I think of African-American believing slaves singing songs that cruelty just could not crush, singing like, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Today we think that song is about rugby. <laughs> it's so wrong. It's about even though I'm suffering horribly, I know my God one day he's going to come and take me and he's going to lift me up out of all of this awful, awful evil in this world and I'm going to be rescued and brought into his bosom and be close in relationship with him forever. If you go on to read the rest of the lyrics, it talks about my brightest day was the day that Jesus washed my sins away. Wow. What peace. What peace. Wherever you're at, however you're doing, however anxious that you are, this peace, it's available for you right now. For the first time or for the billionth time. It's just a prayer away. A prayer said honestly and from the heart. And that prayer is the final verse of our carol. In a moment, I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to welcome the presence of God to come, and I'm inviting you to pray it with me. I will say a line, and then I'm going to have a little pause for a moment for you to say the next line and to make it your own. I sense that there might be people here who you feel like you came today, I don't know if you're watching online or you're here in this room, and you just felt like, God, if you're real, would you do something to show me? This is your moment. This is your moment to know this peace. I'm not asking you to pray it out loud. I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything like that. Just to say these words in your own way, in your head to God in a moment of reality. And just to see what might happen. I mean, what have you got to lose, right? <laughs> and if you do that, if you do that, we'd love to know. We'd love just to help you on your journey. We're, um, we're honestly not trying to force anything on you. We'd just love to help ask some questions, maybe answer some questions if we can. Uh, if you do this, we'd love you just to email in christmas at westminsterchapel.org.uk. A uh, very easy email address to remember. It's our website plus the word Christmas before it. And we'll do our best to be in touch with you, just to, just to encourage you just to help you as best we can. But right now we're going to pray. Father God, Holy Spirit, just invite you to come. I thank you that you're already here in this place. Thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for these people. And Lord, you know who needs peace in this room right now. You know who needs rescuing and being set free from all that is causing them unpeace. So come, let's pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend 
to me, I pray. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. We hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to me. Abide with me, my Lord, Emmanuel. Lord God of heaven, liberate us from all of our fears, all of our disappointments, all of our sin, all of our guilt, of our shame, and let the peace that transcends understanding, fill all of our hearts for the glory of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.